Jungle Tales of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs Chapter 5 Tarzan and the Black Boy Tarzan Ape sat at the foot of a great tree braiding a new grass rope. Beside him lay the frayed remnants of the old one torn and severed by the fangs and talons of Sheeta, the panther, and half the original rope was there, a balance having been carried off by the angry cat as he, as he bound away through the jungle, the noose still round his savage neck, and the noose end dragging among the underbrush. Tarzan smiled at Kushita's great rage, his frantic efforts to free himself from the entangling strands of his uncanny, his uncanny screams of pure hate, part anger, part terror. He smiled in retrospection at his figure figure of his enemy interpretation of another day the added extra strand to his new rope this be the strongest heaviest rope that Tarzan Apes ever, ever had fashioned visions of Numa the lion straining furtively in its embrace filled thrilled the ape man thrilled the ape man he was quite content for his hands brain were busy content too with his fellows of the tribe of Kedneck searching for food and the clearing of the surrounding trees about him. No perplexing faults of their future burdened their minds, and occasionally dimly rose great collections of near paths. They assimilated a species of brute content, a deflectable business of filling their bellies. Afterward they would sleep. It was their life, and they enjoyed it. As we enjoy ours, you and I, Tars enjoyed his. Probably, they enjoyed theirs more than we enjoyed ours. Who shall say that the beasts of the jungle are not better fulfilled the purposes which they are created than does man, with his many excursions into strange fields, his traverentations of laws of nature? And what gives greater content and greater happiness than the fulfilling of the, of the destiny? A thousand work can then Taker's little baboo played with him while Tika spilled food upon the opposite side of the clearing. No more did Tika, the mother, attack the son sire, harbour suspicions, Tarzan's intentions towards their firstborn. Had he not called it death to save the gazan from the fangs and tunnels of Sheeta? Did he not fondle and cuddle the little one with even as great as a show of affection as Tika herself displayed? The fears were lied that Tarzan now found himself often the role of nursemaid, a tiny amphipod, a vacation which he found by no means irksome, since Gavison was never failing thought of surprises and entertainment. Just now the apeling was developing those arboreal tendencies which were to stand him in such good stead during the years of his youth. A rapid fight into the upper terraces was far more important than value his own developed muscles and untried fighting fangs. Backing off some fifteen or twenty feet from the whole ball of a tree beneath the branches which Tarzan worked down his rope, Kazan skippered quickly forward, scrambling nimbly upward to the lower limbs. Here he was squat for a moment or two, made quite proud of his achievement and clamber to the ground again and repeat, sometimes quite often fat, 
for he was an ape. His attention was distracted by other things. A beetle, caterpillar, a tiny field mouse. Off he would go in pursuit of the caterpillars. He always caught, and sometimes the beetles. But the field mice, never. Maybe discovered the tail rope, tar, rope upon which Tarzan was working. Grasping it with one small hand, he bounced away. With all the world to look like an emanated rubber ball, snatching it from the man, ape man's hand, rang off across the clearing. Tarzan leapt to his feet, was in pursuit of an instant, an instant, no trace of anger in his face or his voice. He called to the roguish little blue to drop his rope. Straight forward to his mother, raised Kazan, and after him came Tarzan. Tika looked up. Her feeding in the first instant that she realised Gazan was fleeing, and other was in pursuit. She bared her fang and bristled, but only saw the pursuer was Tarzan. She turned back to the business, a being occupying her attention. A very feet ape man of hold, the Bibbu and though the same youngster squealed and fought, Tarzan seized him. Tika only glanced casually in their direction. No longer did she fear harm to her firstborn at the hands of the ape man. Had he not said Gazan on two occasions? Risking the rope, Tarzan entered. Tarzan returned to his tree, assumed his labour, but thereafter it was necessary to watch carefully the playful Baloo, who was now possessed. To steal it whenever he thought his great smooth skinned cousin was mobilely off his guard. But ever, even under his handicap, Tarzan finally completed the rope, a long patent, patent weapon, stronger than ever any other any he ever had made before. The discarded piece of his former when he gave to Gazan for plaything, Tarzan had it in mind to struck to his balloon with ideas of his own, when the youngsters should be old and strong enough to profit his precepts. At present, the little ape's innate aptitude for the miracle would be significant for familiarise him with Tarzan's ways and weapons. So the ape man swung off in the jungle, his new rope coiled over one shoulder while little Gazan hopped about the clearing, dragging the old one after him in childish glee. With Tarzan travelled, dividing his quest for food, one of a significantly noble quarry, whereupon to test his new weapon, the mind afterwards upon Gazan, the ape man had realised the deep fetch of Tinker's balloon. Almost for the first, partly, partly because the child belonged to Tinker, his first love, and partly for the long ape's own sake, Tarzan human, longing for some essential creature upon which has spanned those natural affections of the soul which is inherent of all normal members of the genus Homo. Tarzan envied Tika. It was true that Gazan evidenced considerable reciprocation re- of Tarzan's fondness for him, even referring him to his own surly sire. But to Tika, the little one, turned when in pain or terror, when, tar- when tired or hungry. Then it was that Tarzan felt quite alone in the world, long desperately for one who should who should turn him first to him for secure and protection? Tag and Tika, Tag, Tika and Gazan had Gazan. Tag had Tika, Tika, Tika had Gazan, and nearly every other bull or cow, the tribe of Kadak, had one other love, 
by whom to be loved, caused Tarzan could scarcely formulate the thought in precisest way. He knew he craved something which had designed him, something which seemed to represent Pedrin Bordeaux's relatives, existed between Tarka and Baloo. So he envied Tarka along for Baloo for, of his own. So Ashita and his mates, with their little family free and deep in the land, toward the rocky hills, where one might lie during the heat of the day in a dense shade of tangled fret, thicket close upon the cool face of an overhanging rock, Tarzan had found the lair of Numba the lion, a sombre lioness. Here he watched them with all their little bus, their little burus, playful creatures, spotted leopard-like. He had seen the young fawn with Bara, the deer, and Buto, the rhinoceros, his gangly little one. Each of the creatures of the jungle had its own, except Tarzan. It made the ape man sad to think upon this thing, sad and lonely. But presently, his scent of a game cleared his young mind all other considerations. The cat like he crawled further upon the limb, bending limb, over the grain trail which led down to the ancient watering place, and the wild things of it, of his well, of this wild world. <clears throat> How many thousands of times had his great old limb bent to the savage form of some blood-thirsty hunter for long years? Had it spread its leafy branches above the deep, warm jungle path? Tarzan the man sheeted the panther, had shooed the snake. He knew well it had worn smooth the bark upon its upper surface. Today it was Hota, the bull, which came down to woo the watcher in the old tree. Hota, the bull! whose formal house and temporal temper preserved him from all but the least, most, but the most ferocious and most famished of large carbonara. But Tarzan meat was meat, nout was edible or tasty, might pass a hungry Tarzan unchallenged and attacked. In hunger, is that all, the ape man out savage, the dearest, dreadest, dreadest dandins of the jungle, he knew neither fear nor mercy, except upon rare occasions when some strange, despicable force stayed his hand, a force applicable to him, perhaps because of his ignorance, his own origin, of all the forces of Hedemunitism, the civilization, of all these rightful heritage because of that origin. So today, instead of staying his hand until a less forlorn foe found its way towards him, Tarzan dropped his new noose around the neck, halted the boar. It's excellent. It was an excellent test for the unstrands. Angabor bolted it this way and that, but each time the new rope held him, Tarzan made it as fast by the stem of the tree above the branch from which he had cast it. As Holter grunted and charged, slashing the sturdy jungle patriot with his mighty tusks until his block flew in every direction, Tarzan dropped to the ground behind him. The ape man's hand with long, black, clean blade, had been, been his constant companion since the distant day upon which chance and had, chance had directed its point into the body of Baguli, the gorilla, and saved a torn and bleeding man-child for what else had been certain death. Tarzan walked into what in towards Hota, who swung now face to face with his enemy, mighty muscled as he was this young giant, is yet would it have appeared but the maddest folly for him to face a formidable creature's halter, a bow armed with only slender hunting knife, so it would have seemed to one who knew halter, he was slightly 
slightly, and not tired at all. Manahuta stood motionless, facing the ink man. His wicked, deep-set eyes flushed angrily. He shook his lowered head. Mud-eater jerked the ape man. Wallower filth, even the meat that your meat sinks, even if it, but it's juicy, mink styles and strong, so you shall eat your heart. Oh, Lord, the great tusk, that I shall keep savage in what pounds against my own ribs. Also understanding nothing of what Tarzan said, was none less enraged because of that. He saw only a naked man, thing hairless, a photo, pitting his puny fangs and soft vessels against his own indomitable savagery, and he charged. Tarzan and eight waited till the uppercut, a wicked tusk, would have laid open his thigh. Then he moved, just the least bit on one side, but so quickly the lightning was as sluggard by comparison. He moved, as he stooped low with all the great power of his right arm, drove the long blade of his father's hunting knife straight in the heart of Hulta, a boar. Quick leap carried him from his own creature's death throes. A moment later the hot and dripping heart of Hulta was in his grasp. His hunger satisfied Tarzan, did not seek a living, laying up place for sleep. As sometimes he went his way, but continued to go on through the jungle, more such adventure than food. The day he's restless. He'd come, he turned his footsteps towards the village of Mungbarga, a black chief whose tar- people Tarzan had baited mostly since the day upon which Kugula, the chief's son, had slain Kala. A river winds close beside the village of the black men. Tarzan reached its side, a little below the clearing, which squat the thatched huts of the negroes. The river's knife was ever fascinating to the river apes, fascinating to the ape man. He found pleasure in watching the ungainly antics of Juru, Hippopotamus, and then sport in tormenting the sluggish crocodile, Gimla, as he basked in the sun. Then, too, there were the shees and bolos, the black men of Gamoli, so frightened as they squatted by the river. That she went with their wing of prim- rushing and balanced with their primitive toys. This day he came upon a woman and child, further down the stream than usual, former searching with species selfish, which had been found in the mud close to the river bank. She was a young black woman of about thirty, her teeth were filled foul to strong sharp points for the people at flesh of man. Men, her under lip was slit. They might support the rude pendant of copper which he had worn so many years. A lip had been dragged downward to Portuguese lengths, exposing the teeth and gums of a lower jaw. A nose too was slit, and through the slit was a wooden skewer. Metal ornaments dangled from her ears, upon her forehead and cheeks, upon her chin, and a bridge of her nose of tattooings in colours and mellowed now by age. She was naked except for a girdle of grass. And a waste. Altogether, she was very beautiful in her own estimation, even in the estimation of men of Magola's tribe, though she was of another of another people. A trophy was seized in the maidenhood by one of Magola's fighting men. A child was a boy of ten, lithe, straight, and for black, handsome. Tarzan looked upon the two from the concealing foliage of a nearby bush. He about to leap forth before them, when a terrifying scream, he might enjoy a spectacle with their terror, and content 
fight. But a sudden, a new whim seized him. There, here was blue fashioned as he himself was fashioned. Of course, his one skin was black, but that is one of it. Tyler never seen a white man. So far as he knew, he was their sole representative of the strange form of life upon the earth. A black boy should have an excellent, would make an excellent babu for Tarzan, since he had none of his own. He would send, tend him carefully, feed him well, protect him as only Tarzan apes could protect his own, teach him of his own hu- out of his half-human, half-beastial law, and so- secrets of jungle, with rotting surface vegetation, to high tossed pinnacles print- of the forest upper terraces. Tarzan uncoiled his rope and shook out the noose. Two before him, all ignorant of the near presence, his overflowing form, continued preoccupied as such as selfish, poking about in the mud with salt sticks. Tarzan stepped from the jungle behind him. His loose lay open upon the ground beside him. There was a quick movement, movement of the right arm. The noose rose crazily in the air, hovered an instant above the head, expecting youth, then settled as in quote. Grumpus, his body below, shoulders Tarzan gave a quick jerk, turning out about the boy's arms, pinning them to his side. A scream of terror broke from the lad's lips, and as his mother turned, afraid, frightened at his cry, she saw him being dragged quickly towards a great white giant who stood just beneath the shade of a nearby tree, scarcely a dozen long paces from her. With such a cry of terror and rage, the woman leapt fiercely, fearlessly towards the ape man. In a man, Tarzan saw determination and courage which would shrink even from her death itself. She was very hideous and was frightful, even with her face and was in pose. But convulsed by passion, expression became terrifying fiendish. Even the ape man drew back, but, m- but more in revulsion and fear, fear he knew not. Biting and kicking was the black, was the black she's baloo. Tarzan touched him, and if his arm vanished into branches, hanging low above him, just as he inferred him up, dashed toward to seize and do battle with him. As he melted away in the depths of the jungle, his struggling prize meditated upon the possibilities by lying a proudness of Govani where he's as formidable as she as a she's. Oh, once in a safe distance from the stoiled mother out of earshot of her screams and menaces, Tarzan paused to inspect his prize, just so thoroughly terrorised. He had ceased his struggles and his outcries. Frightened child rolled his eyes fearfully down his captor, towards his captor, until the whites showed gleaming all about their irises. I am Tarzan, said the ape man, in a vercoolia of the infrads. I will not harm you. You are Tarzan's Baloo. Tarzan will protect you. He will feed you. The best in the jungle shall be for Tarzan Baloo. But Tarzan is mighty hunter. None need to you fear. Not even number the lion. But Tarzan is mighty fighter. None so great as Tarzan, son of Carla. Do not fear. A child only whimpered and trembled. For he did not understand the tongue of the great apes. The voice of Tarzan sounded to him like a barking growling of a beast. Then, too, he had heard stories of this bad white forest guard. It was he who had slain Kumbugo, La Navazawa, the Mabolia, the chief. It was he who carried the village stealthily 
entered the village stealthily by magic and darkness of night to steal arrows and poison and frighten the women and children even the great warriors doubtless his wicked guards fled away upon little boys had his mother not said as much made him naughty and did threaten to give him to white god of jungle if he were not good little black two toes shook at, shook as with ogu a cold good bobulu asked spoke tarzan using the civilian couldn't back he baby in lieu of a better name the sun is hot why do you shiver taboo could not understand he cried for his mamma and begged the great white guard to let him go promising always to be a good boy thereafter his plea was granted tarzan shook his head not a word would be understood this would never do you must teach kabulu a language which sounded like talk is quite certain to tarzan kaboo but Glulu's speech was not, not was not at all it sounded quite senseless as chatting with silly birds it should be best fault the ape man quickly to get back get quickly to get him among the tribe of Kanek, where he would hear the Mongoli talking among themselves. Thus he would learn an intelligible form of speech. Tarzan rose to his feet upon the swaying branch, where he halted far below above and ran a motion to child follow him. A timber and he clung tightly to bore the tree and wept. Being a boy and native of African, he of course climbed under trees, made time for this, by the idea of racing all through the forest, leaping from one branch to another, as he kept to his horror, had done when he was carried carried Jumbo away, where his mother filled his childish heart with terror. Tarzan sighed, he newly acquired Baloo, much indeed to learn. It's pitiful that Baloo, with his size and strength, should be so backward. He tried to coax Taboo into following him, but the child dared not so. So Tarzan picked him up and carried him down on his neck. Timbo no longer scratched or bet. Escape seemed impossible, and even now, were he set upon the ground, chance was a moat. He knew he couldn't find his way back to the village of Mabobo. A chief, even if he could, as the t- lions and leopards, hyenas, anyone of which a two was well aware, particularly fond of the meat of little boy, black boys. As far as the terrible white guard of the jungle had offered him no harm, so far the terrible white guard of the jungle had offered him no harm. He would not expect even his most, this much consideration with frightful green-eyed man eaters. He would eat this or two eels then. To let the white guard carry him away without scratching and biting, as he had done at first. As Tarzan swam rapidly through the trees, little Timbo, Tibbo, closed his eyes in terror rather than look longer down the frightful abyss beneath. Never before in all his life had Timbo been so frightened. Yet the great, yet the white giant spread on with him through the forest. They stole over the child in inexplicable sensation of security. He saw how true were the leaps of the ape man, how nearly his grasp upon the swinging limbs, very limbs, had given his handhold. And too, there's the safety of the middle of the terraces of the forest, far above the reach of the dreaded lions. The Tarzan came to the clearing where the ape fled, dropping among them his new baloo, clinging tightly to his shoulder. He was fairly in the midst of them. Before Taboo spied a single one, the great hairy forms of before the ape realised Tarzan was alone. When they saw the little Gabori, 
perched upon his back. Some of them came forward in curiosity, our curled lips and snarling men. And how far little taboo would have said he knew the utmost depths of fear. And now, as he saw the fearsome beasts surrounding him, he realised that all had gone before. There was nothing nothing by comparison. Why did a great white giant stand there so concernedly? Why did he not flee before this horrid hairy tree man upon fell upon them both and tore them to pieces. Then they came over to Tibbo, numbing with collection. It was none other than the story he had heard. Passed from mouth to mouth for, for, fearfully by the people of Mongolia, the chief and his great white demon of the jungle was not other than a hairless ape, nor that he had sent the company with ease. Tibbo would only stare in wide-eyed terror, horror, Approaching lights, he saw their beetling growls, their great fangs, their wicked eyes. He noted the mighty muscles rolling beneath their shaggy hides. Their very, very attitude, expression was a menace. Tarzan saw this too, drew timber round in front of him. This is Tarzan's go boo you baloo. He said, do not harm him, or Tarzan will kill you. He bared his own fangs and teeth as the nearest ape. It is Guru, replied the ape. Let me kill it. It's Guru, I. Guru, our enemies. Let me kill it. Go away, it's now Tarzan. I will tell you, Guru, it's Tarzan Baloo. May your Tarzan will kill you. The ape man took a step forward, the vain ape. The latter slithered off. Slithered off, quite stiff and haughty, after the man of a dog, which means another is too proud to fight, too fearful to turn his back and run. Next came Tika, prompted by curiosity, as her side skipped little Gazan. He filled with wonder, like the others, but Tika did not bare her fangs. Tarzan saw this and motioned that she, that she approached. Tarzan, this is Baloo now. This is Baloo now, he said. He and Tika's Baloo can play together. It's a Gomari, replied Tika. He'll kill my to Baloo. Take away, Tarzan. Don't love. He could not harm Puppet, Puppet, uh, the rat, he said. You know, it is but a little blue, very frightened. Let's Gazara, Gazan play with it. Tika still was fearful, for, for with all their mighty ferocity, great Afrobreds were timid, but last assured by great confidence. Tarzan, she pushed Gazan forward f- towards the little black boy. The small ape, guided by instinct, drew back towards his mother, bearing its small rings and screaming in mingled fear and rage. Taboo too showed no signs of dirt. Starting a closer acquaintance with Gazan, Tarzan gave up his efforts for the time. During the week which followed, Tarzan found his time much occupied. His blue was a greater responsibility than he had counted upon. Not a moment did he dare leave it, since all the tribe, Tika alone, could have been depended upon to refrain from slaying the hapless black lad, had it been not for Tarzan's constant watchfulness. When a great man hunted, he must carry Gabulu about with him. It's irksome, and when the little black seemed so stupid and fearful to Tarzan, is quite helpless against even less than the jungle creatures. Tarzan wondered how he had, uh, 
how it survived at all, tried to teach it, found a ray of hope in the fact that Gogobulu, Babulu, Balu, the master of few words and languages of the Afropods, he could not cling, now cling to a high tossed branch without screaming in fear. But there was something about the child which worried Tosin. He often had watched the blacks within the village. He had seen the children playing, always been much laughter, but their little Gabu never laughed. It was true that Tosin himself never laughed. Upon occasion he smiled grimly, but the laughter he was a stranger. The black, however, should have laughed, Rosina was in the black man. It was the way the Gowari. Also, he saw the little fellow often refused food, was growing thinner day by day. It's times his pride, the boy sobbing softly to himself, Tarzan tried to comfort him, even to the fierce, as the fierce Kavala had comforted Tarzan when the ape man was a Baloo. But all to an avail, Kavalulu, Millie no longer to fear Tarzan. That was all. He feared every other living thing within the jungle. He feared the jungle days, all their long excursions, for the dizzy treetops, for their swaying, precious couches. Crunch couches far above the ground, and the grunting and coughing of the great carvanar, Ara, prowling beneath him. Tarzan did not know what to do. Heritage of English blood rendered it a difficult thing. He considered it a surrender of his project. Though he was forced to admit to himself that his blue was not all he had hoped. Though he was faithful to his self-imposed task, he even, even found he had grown to like go blue, bar blue. He could not deceive himself into believing that he felt for the fierce heat of passion, affection, which took a place for Kazan, which the black mother had shown for Gubarubalu. The little boy, boy from the cringing, from the cringing terror at sight of Tarzan, passed by reason of trustfulness and admiration, only kindness had been received at the hands of the great white. Demi devil guard, yet he's seen with what ferocity his kindly capper captor could deal with others. He had seen him leap upon a certain heap of assistant attempting to seize and slay Go Boo He had seen the strong white teeth of eight men fasten it in the neck of his adversary, the mighty muscles tensed in battle. He had heard the savage habitual snarls and roars of combat. He realised with a shudder he would not differentiate between those of his guardian and those of the, the hairy ape. You seen Tarzan bring down a buck just as Numba the lion were done, leaping upon its back, fastening fangs of the creature's neck. Timber was sh- shuddered the sight. He thrilled too, for the first time there's entered his dull, nimroid mind, a vague, vague desire to emulate his savage poster parent. The Timbo, the little wet boy, lacked the divine speak bark, which had permitted Tarzan, the white boy, to benefit by his training. In a way, he's a fierce jungle. In imagination, he was, he was wanting. In imagination is but another thing name for superintelligence. Imagination is what triggers. Builds bridges and cities and empires. Beasts, no, no, it not. The blacks, only a little. He's the one in a hundred thousand of Earth's dominating race. Is given as gifts from uh, heaven that a man may not perish from the earth. While Tarzan pondered his problem concerning the future of his blue, fate was arranging to take the matter out of his hands. 
Mamma Timbo's brother, grief stricken at the loss of a boy, consulted a tribal witch doctor, but to no avail. The medicine he made was not good medicine. Perfume and Mobla paid him two goats for it. He did not bring back Timbo. He did not even in, in, he would not indicate she, where she might search for him, with reasonable assurance of finding him. Mamulia, being a short tempered with another people, had little respect for the witch doctor of the husband tribe. So when he suggested what had a fear of people, two more fat goats of doubtless enabled him to make stronger medicine, she promptly loosened the intruder's tongue upon him, and with such good effect he was glad to get, take himself off with Zebra's tail and his pot of magic. When he was gone, had Mboma had succeeded in partly subduing her anger, she gave herself over to fault, as she often had done since the production of Timbo, and hoped that she finally might discover some feasible means of locating him, or at least of showing himself as to whether he was alive or dead. It is known to the blacks that Tarzan did not eat the flesh of the man, for he had slain more than one of their number. He had never tasted the flesh of any. Two, the bodies away always had been found, sometimes dropping, as though for the clouds, the light in the centre of the village. The temple body had not been found, but Babea we argued that he still lived. But where? Then it was then it was that there came to her. Mind away collection Bararaway, the unclean had dwelt in the cave, and he also the north, who was well known to who it was well known in St. Devils in his evil lair. Few, if any, had this temerity to, temerity to visit old Barakawari. First, he thought because of the fear of his black magic, and two unies had dwelt with him, they are commonly known as the devils masquerading, and second, because of no some disease which caused Barakawari to be an outcast, a disease was slowly eating away his face. Now it's a Marawa reason shrewdly that it might right it would be right might if it might might know that it, if any might know the whereabouts of a taboo, it'd be Bakarari, who is fiercely intercourse who is fiercely intercourse with the guards and demons, says the devil God it was who had stolen a baby. Even her great mother, love, was sorely taxed to find the courage to send her forth into black jungle towards the distant hills, and cunning abode of Barari, and unclean and his devils. Mother love, however, is one of the human passions which closely approximates to the dignity of irresistible force. It drives a frail flesh to weak woman. The deeds of rhetoric measure. Mamea was neither frail nor weak. Physically, she is a woman, arrogant, superstitious African savage. She believed in devils, in black magic, and in witchcraft. And Mamea, jungles inhabited by far more terrifying things. Lions, lions and leopards, horrifying nameless things which possessed a power wreaking wrecking fearful harm upon various innocent guises. Wrecking fearful harm, fearful harm under various innocent guises.
From one of the warriors of the village, whom she knew, to once stumble upon a lay of buck warrior, the mother taboo learned how she might find it near a spring of water which rose in a small rocky canyon between two hills, the eastmost of which was easily recognisable because of the huge granite boulder which rested upon its summit. Whereas the hill was lower than its companion, was quite bare of vegetation set for a single minerosa tree which grew just a few little below its summit. These two hills a man assured her could be seen for some distance before she reached them, together formed an excellent guide to her destination. He warned her ever to abandon so foolish and dangerous an adventurous emphasizing she already quite well knew it was she escaped harm at the hands of Bokowari, his devil demons. Chances were she would not be unfortunate, great carnivore, a jungle through which she would pass going and returning. Warren then went to Momoya's husband, who in turn, having little authority over the rich lady of his choice, went to Mogulia, the chief, the latter summoned Momoya, threatening her with a duress punishment should she ever venture forth upon a holy excursion. The old chief interest in the matter was due sorely to the age-old alliance which exists between church and state. A local witch-doctor, knowing his own medicine better than any other knew it, was jealous of all other pretenders to the accomplishments of the black art. He long had heard of the power Bakari and feared less should he succeed in recovering Mavara's lost child, with much of the tribal patronage, consent fees would be diverted to the unclean one. As Mavara receded to chief, a certain proportion of which doctor's fees would expect nothing from Mavara, his heart and soul were quite naturally wrapped in the Orthodox Church. But if Mavara could view in intrepid heart excursion to the jungle, a visit to fear, haunted abode of Agwari. She was not likely to be deterred by threats of future punishments to the hands of old, old Mogbolia. Whom only she secretly despised, she yet yet she appeared to send his injunctions returning to her hut in the silence. She would have preferred starting upon her quest by daylight, but it was right now out of question, since he must carry food and weapon of some sort, things which he never could pass out of the village, which by day without being subjected to curious questioning, it surely would have come immediately to the ears of Mabolia. So Maria bided her time until night, and just before the gates of the villages were closed, she slipped through in the darkness in the jungle. She was much frightened, for she set her face resentfully towards the north, Though she paused to listen, breathlessly for the huge cats, which here were her greatest terror. She nevertheless continued away staunchly for several hours, till a low moan of little to her right behind her brought her a sudden stop. To a sudden stop, with puppy heart, the woman stood scarce, daring to breathe. Then, very faintly, but unmistakable, to her keen ears. In the steady crunching of twigs and grasses beneath padded feet, all about Mamea's crude of giant trees as trouble for it jungle, but soon with hanging vines and mosses, he seized upon the nearest and started to clamber ape-like to branches above, 
As she did so, a sudden rush of great body behind her, a menacing roar that chased, caused the jungle to tremble, and something crashed into the very creeper to which he was clinging. But below her, Mamea drew herself to safety, wrung the grenade through branches, and faint the foresight that had prompted her to bring along the dried human ear which hung from a cord for her neck. It always had known that he was good medicine. It had given to her when a girl, when a girl by a witch doctor of her own town tribe, with nothing like the poor meat medicine of Mogbolia's witch doctor. All night, Mamea clung to her perch, for though the lion sought her prey, over a short time she dared not descend into darkness again for fear she might encounter him, another of his own kind. By daylight, by daylight she clambered down and resumed her way. Tarzan Eats, finding his Baloo, never ceased to give the evidence of terror present the apes of the tribe. Also, most, most apes were a constant menace to Guru's life, so Tarzan dared not leave him, lying with him. Doctor Haunting go took to hunting with little Lord Lamp further and further upon the stamping grounds of the amphipods. Little by little his absence from the tribe grew in length, as he wandered further away from them, till finally he found himself a greater distance to the north than he ever before hunted with water and ample game of fruit. He found not at all inclined to return to the tribe. Little go go bululu gave evidence of greater interest in life, interest which varied in direct proportion the distance he was from the apes of Kalak. He now trotted along behind Tarzan, when the ape-man went upon the ground and trees, he even did his best to follow his mighty foster-parent. But he was still sad and lonely, his thin little body had grown steadily thinner since he had become among the apes. For while, as a young cannibal, he was not over-nice, a manner of diet. Might found it not always in his taste to stomach the weird things which tickled the palates of couriers among the apes. His large eyes were very large indeed now, his cheeks sunken, his every rip, his domesticated body plainly discernible, her whosoever should care to count them. Constant terror perhaps had so much to do with his physical condition, so improper food, Tarzan noticed a change, and worried. He had hoped his balloon was sturdy and strong, his disappointment was great. Only in one respect had Go Buru seen to progress rapidly with mastering the language of the apes. Even now, he tells a converse in fairly such very manner by supplementing the meagre ape speech with signs, but for the most part, Go. Boo-boo-boo-loo was silent other than to answer questions put to him. His great soul was yet too new and too potent, potent to be laid aside even momentarily. Always he pined for Momea, shrewdish, hideous, repulsive perhaps. She would have given, would have been given to you or me. But Timber, she's mama, personification of that one great life. With love which knows no selfishness, which goes does not consume itself for its own fire in its own fires. As the two hundred or rather as tiles and hunted, a go boo blue tagged along in his wake. Eight men noticed many things and thought much. Once they came upon some birds from bony and tall grasses, there about her romped, played two little balls of fur, but her eyes were one which lay 
between a great forefront pause, and did not romp one who never would romp again. Tarzan read all right the anguish of suffering the huge barber cat. He had been made to debate here, but it was this that he had sneaked slightly through the trees till he almost came up, almost upon a brother. But something held the late man as he saw the lioness grieving over a bird cub. With the custodian of Barbaloo, Tarzan had come to realise his responsibilities, so I was apparently about his joys. His heart went out to Sabal, who might not have done a few weeks before. He watched her when they rose, quite unburdened, burdened, bidded for him in vision of Maya, Maria's sewer, with which the spectrum of a nose, a pointless upper lip sagging beneath the weight which dragged him down, drowned. Tarzan saw not to unloveliness. He saw only the strange saying which was that Sabal. He'd wince, same front, strange functioning of the mind. Sometimes it's called a satiation. Ideas snapped. Tegan and Gazan were the eighth man's mental vision. If the what is one who come and takes Gazan from Tika, Tika's an uttered low, gross growl as though Gazan for his own garb, boo, baloo, glanced here and there apparently, thinking that Tarzan had spied an enemy. Serbo sprang suddenly to her feet. Her yellow-green eyes blazing, a little lashing, as she cocked her ears, raising her muzzle, sniffed the air for possible danger. The two little cubs which had been playing scampered quickly to her, and standing beneath her, peered out between her forelegs, their big ears standing, little heads cocked first upon one side upon, and then upon the other. With a shake by a black shock, Tarzan turned away and resumed his hunting in order in another direction. But all day they rose one another above the threshold of the vegetative mind. Memory portraits of Zor, a Mamoya, and a Tika, Linus, a cannibal. She, she ape, yet to the man, ape man, they were identical through motherhood. It was noon on the third day when Mamoya came within sight of the cave of Bakrawari. The unclean, the old witch doctor, had rigged a framework in the lace barrows, the clothes and mouth of the cave for predatory beasts. It is not now yet side one side, black cavern, but he yawned mysteriously and pellant. Mabea shivered as from the cold wind of the rainy season. No sunlight appeared about the cave, and Maya experienced that cunning sensation and seen eyes regarding her Again she shuddered, she tried to force her willing feet upward, onward, towards the cave, when from its depths issued an uncanny sound, it was either brute nor human, a weird laugh as kin to mirthless laughter. With a typhoid scream, Mamaya turned and fled into the jungle. For a hundred yards she ran before she could control her terror. Then she paused, listening. With all her labour, where all the terrors and dangers through which she had passed to go f- go to Nilt, she tried to still self to return to the cave, but then again fright overcame her. Saddened his heart and she turned slowly upon the back trail towards the village of Mamorolia. Her young shoulders now were drooped like those of an old woman, bears a great burden of many years, with acquainted pains and sorrows. She walked with tired feet, halting step, halting step, and a spring of youth was gone from her there. 
For a hundred yards, she dragged her very way, her brain half paralyzed from dumb terror and suffering. When there came to her the memory of a little babe that suckled at her breast, the slim boy romped, laughing about her. They were both Timbo, her Timbo. Soldiers straightened. She walked, shook her stubbish head. She turned about and walked boldly back to the mouth cave of Bulgari, Bulgari, the unclean of Bulgari, the witch doctor. Again, from the interior of the cave came the hideous laughter. But that was not laughter. This time, Maria recognized it. It was that of the strange Cryohena. No more did she shudder, for she held her spears ready and called aloud to Bulgari to come out. Instead of Bulgari, came the repulsive head of Hena. Maria poked at it with her spear. The ugly, sulking brutes drew back with an angry growl. Again, Mamea called Barari by name. This time there came an answer, mumbling tones of scarce more human than those of beasts. Who comes to Barari? cried a voice. Then Mamaria replied with a woman. Mamaria from the village of Mongolia, the chief. What do you want? I want good medicine. Better medicine, Mamaria's. Which doctor can make? replied Mamaria. The great white guard stole my timber. I want minutes to bring him back or find where he's hidden. And I may go and get him. Where is Timbo? asked Bagrari. Mamboya told him. Bagrari's medicine is very strong, said a voice. Five goats and a few new sleeping back. Or scarce enough for strange Bagrari's medicine. Two goats is enough, said Maria, for the spirit of Banta is strong and the beasts of the blacks. Pleasure haggling over the price was a separately put law to to draw Bokari to the mouth of the cave. Maria was sorry she had saw him. Had he not remained within, there were some things too horrible, too hideous, too repulsive. Description, but Maria's face was there, was was of these. When Maria saw him, she understood why it was he also articulate. Beside him was two hyenas, which rumours said were only uh, constant companions, made an excellent trio, most repulsive beasts, most repulsive humans, fire goats and new sleeping men, Mamba Bokari. Two fat goats and a sleeping mat, Mamaria raised her bid. Bagwari Bagwari was an alternate. He stuck with five goats and sleeping mat for a matter of half an hour, while he sniffed and growled and laughed hideously. Mamaria was determined to give all that Bagwari asked, as she could do better, but haggling is second nature to black batterers. In the end, a party paid her for a compromise finally had reached, which included three fat goats, a new white sleeping mat, a piece of copper wire. Come back tonight, said Bakari, when the moon is two hours in the sky. Then I'll make a strong medicine which we shall bring to boot back to you. Bring with you the three fat goats, a new sleeping mat, a piece of copper wire, a length of a great man, large man's forearm. I will bring them, said Maya. You will have to come after them. When you have restored taboo to me, you have them all, a village of Mavaya. Bakari shook his head. I shall make no medicine. He said, until I give, have the goats a mat and a copper wire. And Maya pleaded and threatened, but to no avail. Funny, she turned away, so I'd offer the jungle to all the village of Mabaya. 
Where house you get three goats and labour mat? Had a village through a jungle, the cave of Barari. She did not know, but she would do it somehow. She was quite positive. She would do it or die. Timber must be restored to her. Tarzan come lazy through the jungle with a little go boo Barari. Caught the scent of Barara, the deer. Tarzan hungered for flesh of Barara. Not tickled his planet so great, greatly. Not to stop Barra, but with Gogoro, his heels, was not out of question. As he hid the child in the crutch of the tree, where the thick foliage screened him from the view, fled off swiftly and silently upon the spore of Barra. Timbo alone was more terrified than Timbo, um, even among the apes. Real and apparent dangers were less discordant than those which, which we can imagine. Only the gods his people know how much Timbo imagined. He had been out, but been out. Being but a short time in his hiding place, he heard something approaching from the jungle. He crouched to close to the limb, upon which he laid and prayed that Tarzan would return quickly. His eyed eyes searched the jungle, direction the moving creature. What if it was a leopard that caught his scent? Or it would be upon him in a minute. Hot tears flowed from his large eyes. Little Timbo, cut of jungle foliage, rustled close at hand. Thing was on a few paces from his tree. His eyes fairly popped. His black face, he watched the appearance of his dread creature, who presently would thrust a snarling countenance from between the vines of creepers. Then a curtain parted, a woman stepped into full view. A grasping cry, Timber mumbled from his speech, tumbled from his perch and raced towards her. Mamiya suddenly startled back and raised a spear, but a second later she cast its side and caught the thin body in her strong arms, crushing it, crushing it to her. She cried and laughed all at once, and at the same time, hot tears of joy mingled with tears of timber, trickled down the crease between her naked breasts. Disturbed by an eye so close to hand, there arose from his sleep a thick, nearby thicket lumber the lion. Lumber the lion. He looked through the tangled undergrowth and saw the black woman, her young, electric shot for measured distance between him himself. Short charge and little leap were carrying upon them. He flicked at the end of his tail and sighed. Vacant breeze surling suddenly in the wrong direction carried the scent of Tarzan, sending nostrils a bower at the lair. There was a sudden subtle tensing of the muscles, cocking of ears, a sudden dash. Tarzan meat was gone. Eight men angrily shook his head and turned back towards the spot where he left Gogu Baruru. Came softly as as his way. Before he reached the spot, he heard strange sounds. Sound of woman laughing and woman weeping. And two who seemed to come from her throat were mingled. The closest sobbing of a child. Tarzan hastened. When Tarzan hastened, only birds and wind went faster. Tarzan approached the sounds. He heard another deep sigh. Mamea did not hear it, nor did Tobo. But the ears of Tarzan were the ears of Barada at Deer. He heard the sigh and he knew. So he unloosened the heavy spear which dangled his back. Even as he spread through the branches of the trees, with the same ease as you and I might take a pocket handkerchief, he strolled nonchalantly down a lazy country lane. Tarzan took the spear from its thong and might be ready against any emergency. Number the lion did not rush madly to attack. He reasoned again, the reason told him, and already the prey was his. He pushed his great bulk through the foliage and stood eyeing his meat, baneful glaring eyes. Mamea saw him and shrieked, drawing Timbo closer to the breast. 
to have found a child and to lose him all in a moment she raised a spear throwing her hand far back to the shoulder Nemo roared and stepped slowly toward Mimea cast a weapon at Kreese the tawny shoulder inflicting a flesh wound which aroused all the terrific beastality of the carnival and tried and charged Mimea tried to close her eyes but could not she saw the flashing swiftness of huge oncoming death when she saw something else she saw the mighty naked white man drop as from the heavens and the path of the charging lion, saw the muscles of the great arm flash in the light, echoed sun, which filled it dappling through the foliage above. She saw a heavy hunting spear hurled through the air to meet the lion in mid leap. Nimba brought upon brought upon his haunches, roaring terribly and striking at the pit spear which protruded from his breast. His great Blows bent and twisted the weapon. Tarzan, crouching with his hunting knife in hand, circled warily about the frenzied cat. Mamoya, wide-eyed, stood rooted to spot, watching, fascinated. Sudden furry Numba hurled himself toward the man, but a wary creature absolutely eluded. A blundering charge, sidestepping quickly, only rushed in upon his foe. Twice the hunting knife flashed in the air. Twice it fell upon the back of Numba, already weakening from the spear point so near his heart. Second stroke of the blade pierced far into his spine, and with a last convulsive sweep of the forepaws, a vain attempt to reach his tormentor, Nimbus ruled upon the ground, paralyzed and dying. Bakwari, fearful, least he could lose any close, following, following my mayor, intention of persuading him to part with her ornaments of copper and iron against. Had to return for the price of the medicine, pay if it was an option of his services, one pays for a training fee for authority. For little, like attorney Bagrari, knew the value of his medicine, it was well to conflict as much as possible in advance. When he should have came upon the scene, the Tarzan le- leapt to meet the lion's charge, he saw it all and marvelled, guessing immediately that this must be the strange white demon, concerning which he had heard room, vague rumours before Moya came to him. Amir saw the lion now passing harming harming her or uh, hers, glazed with new terror upon Tarzan. He had stolen her timber. Doubtless he would attempt to steal him again. Maya hugged very close to her. She was determined to die. This time rather than suffer, timber to be taken from him her again. Tarzan's eyed them in silence. The sight of the boy clinging, sobbing at his mother aroused, and his savage beast of Mercolli Owenness. There's none thus to cling to Tarzan, who yearns so for love of someone's or something. Last Timber looked up because it was quiet. He'd fallen upon the jungle and saw Tarzan. He did not shirk. Tarzan, he said, the speech of the great apes of the tribe of Garrick. Do not take me from my mayor, my mother. Do not take me again from the lair of the hairy tree men. I fear Tug and Goto and the others. Let me stay with my mayor, O Tarzan, God of the jungle. Let me stay with my mayor, my mother. To the end of thy days, and we bless you. Put food before your gates of the village of Mamea, and never, you may never hunger. Tarzan sighed. Go, he said, back to the village of Mamea. The Tarzan will follow the seed, and no harm befalls you. Tarzan taboo translated words to his mother, and two turned their back upon the ape man, side off to Wall's home. The heart of Mamea, Mamea, was great fear and great desolation, for never before had she walked with God, and never had she been so happy. She strained little. She strayed little Timbo to her, choking his tightened treat, 
Tarzan saw inside again. For Tika, where is Tika's blue? He saw her eyes. For double they were blues. For the same Gamari. For the Varara. For Menu. Even for Pume. The rat. But for Tarzan, there can be none. Neither she nor a blue. Tarzan eats his man. He must be that man walks alone. Bergsari saw them go. He almost his rotting face swearing a great oath. He would yet have the tra- fat goats and new sleeping mat and bit of copper wire.